this Advent season, we're talking about divine disruptions. And I talked about interrupting a youth group last night, but there are all kinds of disruptions, not always bad disruptions. There are very, very good ones, primarily technological, right? Huge leaps in technology are disruptive. <laughs> the cell phone? I've told college students multiple times, when I went to college, there was no internet, no email. So you actually had to read the books and find what you were looking for. So you are, your educational process is completely disrupted compared to mine for the better, right? No, imagine the radio personalities that were famous when TV came along. That's disruptive. TV is going the way of the, the radio with internet in the sense that anybody can look at billboards when you're riding down the road? No, you're like this. Anybody watch commercials on television when they come on? No, you're like this. Or you skip them entirely if you, can't, if you can skip them. Or you pay five bucks a month so you don't have to even see them. So that advertising money goes to what goes well, right? So advertising has been disrupted by the internet because now we don't have to pay attention to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like You can get spam filters to block all the junk email that comes, hopefully, theoretically, possibly, who knows. But technology has disrupted everything. I sold real estate while I was in seminary Thank goodness there was an internet then. But can you imagine selling real estate pre-internet? You have a book with writing on it, and you have to ride around each house and find them and look at them to see if it's one you're even interested in instead of like, oh, there's one. It's disruptive. It puts people out of work. Self-checkout, anyone? You know what I mean? That's disruptive to the retail industry. Used to, somebody had to stand there and swipe your stuff for you. Now you... Pay for it and do it yourself. <laughs> Something's wrong with that picture. But it's disruptive. What about weapons? Can you imagine the first time chariots rolled onto a battlefield? And the people just standing there like, what's that and what are we going to do now? You know, you know what I mean? A little bit like Alabama rolling onto a field next to Georgia. It's disruptive. You're like, this is not what we were prepared for. They've got wheeled machines. They're going to kill us, you know? So it comes along and it completely changes the way we think about it. In fact, these technologies change the course of human history. The light bulb, anyone? I mean, if you're studying for exams this week, at least it's not by candlelight. It completely transforms everything. Huge leaps. The way that you've done things before is never, ever the same. And so as we're walking through these disruptions and these encounters that people are having with God himself at the greatest disruption in all of human history, the arrival of the Messiah. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. This is verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God for a town to a town called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him... To him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Of his kingdom there will be no end. 
Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth is in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, Here I am, servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. All right, so if you were here last week, Elizabeth in her old age and Zechariah, her husband, a priest, get told they're going to have a kid. Six months later, her cousin Mary finds out they're going to have a kid. So Luke is telling us two birth announcement stories, almost completely back to back. And there are some incredible similarities, which means Luke is trying to make a comparison between these two stories. He's wanting you to see the connection. He's wanting you to see how these, these work. But he's also going to make a really, really big point about the difference. And we'll get to that in a minute. So you've got these two things. And just like in the Zechariah story, you get the setup part, right? As we, as we launch into the story, he tells you all about Mary. Well, he tells you like two things about Mary, <laughs> right? He tells you she's a virgin. Now, that's pretty much all he tells you about her. Oh, yeah, that she's engaged or betrothed to Joseph. So we get a complete bio, you know? No, I mean, it's a little bit of a story about who Mary is, the significant fact being that she's a virgin, and the significant fact that she is betrothed to this guy, Joseph, who is of the line of David. Now, so that's a, that's a significant thing, too, because all of the Old Testament prophecies have said that the Messiah will come from the line of David. Now, if you're like me, you go, but wait, Joseph's not dad. How does that even work? Like, it's one of those great mysteries of the Scriptures. Like, how is he of David, but not of Joseph? Weirdness, Right? Except in Jewish tradition, any, any child that came from a Jewish marriage was attributed to the father in terms of lineage. So there's at least a human answer to that question. Joseph is dad, even though Joseph isn't dad. <laughs> if you're with me on that one. So it's a fulfillment of a prophecy. He's going to inherit his ancestor David's throne. Even the angel attributes the lineage to who? The line of David. And the angel's message, he tells them that. So we get that comment. We got the Jewish tradition that establishes the line. Now we need to talk about betrothed for a minute. This is not like our idea of engagement, where it's like, hey, we're going to get married in like 2022, and it's going to be pretty, but we break up before the anniversary. This is not what we're talking about when we talk about engagement, right? Jewish engagement was basically a legal transaction that had already taken place. The bride price had already been exchanged. This is a little bit more than, I really love you, I'm going to marry you. This is, she belongs to Joseph already. They just have not consummated the marriage yet, which they wouldn't do until they actually have the marriage ceremony. But Joseph has already paid the price to make Mary his. Are you with me? So that's why it's important. Those two little facts are important. She's not had a kid by Joseph or been with Joseph, but she does belong to Joseph in every legal sense. And in, that, in those circumstances, those betrothals sometimes took place as early as 12. So think arranged marriage. They're arranged to be married. They just haven't had the ceremony yet, but they belong to each other. So Mary could have been maybe 13, 14, 15, maybe as young as 12. 
and the angel shows up. <laughs> and there's another comparison here. It's Gabriel again. He's busy in Luke 1. It's the same angel that made the announcement to Zechariah. I'm Gabriel. You know, the one that hangs out in the very presence of God is making these birth announcements. Now imagine being Mary for a second. You're 12, 13, 14 years old. You're engaged, betrothed to your husband. She clearly knows, I haven't done that stuff yet. And an angel shows up and says, you're going to have a kid. An angel shows up to tell you. That's disruptive. That's a disruption. That's a change in trajectory, is it not? A 14-year-old girl in the privacy of her home. Angel. How would you respond to those circumstances? What did I eat for supper last night? You know? Of course, you read the, Old, the New Testament, the Old Testament, when an angel shows up, what, the, what is the first words out of every angel's mouth? Do not be afraid. Duh. <laughs> right? They have to calm the, the recipient down. But what's really interesting is, is Mary afraid? Look at verse 26, 28, excuse me. What is Mary's response to this announcement, the way it's described in the Scriptures? 28, where are you? There you are, somewhere. Oh, here it is, 29. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. She was confused, probably a little bewildered, Wondering what in the world the angel's talking about. You're blessed among all people. Because the announcement's not at first. It's the angel shows up and says, Hi, I'm Gabriel. You are favored among many. You are blessed. This idea is that the Holy Spirit has poured, God has poured out His special blessing on you, Mary. And her response is, What? What's special about me? I don't understand. It says that she pondered it in her heart, the nature of the announcement. It's not even the birth announcement yet. It is the you are blessed part of the announcement. Massive spiritual being. A little other comparison here. Zechariah was in the middle of a worship service in the temple with lots of people praying and worshiping outside. Sorry. Mary's at home alone. So Zechariah gets the announcement of John the Baptist, who's going to be the one, the last Old Testament prophet, the one who's going to pave the way of the Messiah. It's a big deal. It's a worship service. It's a public event. The Messiah shows up, and it's Mary at home. It's Mary at home in the privacy of her own home, which really makes it disruptive when an angel says, Hi, right in your living room or your bedroom or wherever this, wherever this took place. And she's confused. But the angel still says, what? Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. Wait, how does that work? Because <laughs> I've not been with my husband yet. I haven't done that. How does that work? How's that supposed to be possible? Now, if you'll remember, when we looked at Zechariah, what happened with Zechariah? Zechariah had a question too, right? Zechariah doubted when the angel said, you're going to have a kid. What happened to Zechariah when he doubted? He was mute for nine months. God took his voice away. Here's Mary. She's like, how does that work? Do you see punishment in that passage? What's the difference? 
Zechariah's response wasn't so much just a question. Zechariah actually asked for a sign. Show me a sign of how this is going to work. He doubted the pronouncement. He doubted God's ability to make it happen. And that's why there was a, you doubt, great, now you won't be able to announce it. Mary just wants to understand the mechanics. Like, how is this supposed to happen? But she's pondering the nature of the announcement in her heart. She's not doubt. I, I don't see doubt in the passage. I see confusion. Does that make sense? She's not like, okay, I don't really buy what you're saying. She's just like, I don't understand how this is supposed to work. It's a different attitude from the confrontation. It's a different attitude toward the disruption. It's not one of, I don't think it will happen. It's, I don't understand how this is supposed to happen. Help me out. And that's why the very next verses, the angel starts to explain it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The angel tells her how it's going to work. He explains it to her. There's no consequence. There's explanation. There's, hey, this is the deal. In verse 30 through 33, um, this baby is very different. You'll be, he'll be the son of the Most High God, the heir to the throne of David, not a guy who's not going to drink and is going to get out in the wilderness and tell people to repent. This is the very Son of God. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and cover you. That word overshadow is the same word that they talk about when the cloud of God's presence descends on the temple in the Old Testament. Luke wants you to understand the significance of this. This is not just the Holy Spirit saying hi. The Holy Spirit will descend upon you the way the presence of God did on the temple worship in the Old Testament. This is a different baby. This is a different kind of kid. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one that John was preparing the way for. And he ends his explanation to Mary by saying, with God, nothing is impossible. You ask how. With God, nothing is impossible. The Holy Spirit's going to dwell upon you. You have found favor with Him. You are the one that everyone has been waiting for. And in verse 38, what's her response to all that? Remember, 13-year-old girl, 14-year-old girl, in a room by herself, angel shows up, and it's Gabriel. It's the, it's the chief angel, the one that hangs out with God himself. It's overwhelming. It's confusing. He's saying things like, you found favor with God, you're going to have a baby, it's going to be the Messiah. You know, the announcement every Jewish woman has waited for for thousands of years, to be the mother of the Messiah. She's a little confused a little overwhelmed, asks how it's going to work. And then he explains it to her. And she goes, let's, let's read her exact response because it's powerful. The wording to me is powerful. 36 and 37. Your, rel your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is her sixth month. For she was said to be barren. But nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary says, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. All that overwhelming information, all that disruption, and what's Mary's response? Here I am. Let's do this. What a contrast between Zechariah's response. Are you for real? Show me a sign. 
Mary just says, okay, if that's how it's going to work, let's do this. There's no thought about what's this mean for, we'll get to that next week probably, me and Joseph and now I'm pregnant. What's, what's my neighbor going to say? What's Elizabeth going to say? There's no thought of any of that. No consequential thought. It's, here I am, your servant. Here I am, your servant. When she has a divine encounter, a divine disruption, she's a little confused, as we all would be, but her initial response is this, yes, Lord, let's go. Yes, Lord, let's do this. I'm your servant. Let it be the way you were saying it'll be. That'd be a great sentence prayer, right? A great daily sentence prayer. Let it be according to your word, Lord. Just pray that throughout the day, especially during exam week. Let it be according to your word. That's her response. It's a submission response. So what about us? Anybody ever had a message or an encounter with God or something God has probably told you and you were confused? Or you've been in a set of circumstances and you're really confused about what God's doing in those circumstances? You ever just been completely befuddled by what God's doing in your life? Said no one ever, right? Hey, I was supposed to do this and go here and be this person and this. It's not working out that way. Nobody's ever been confused. God says, hey, I know you're happy in this location and doing this thing, but I want you to go here. That's never happened to any of us, right? Or we have some private encounter with God. And we're just like, God, I know you're doing something here, but I have no idea what it is. Just me? Okay. We all get confused by what God's trying to do sometimes. But our reaction, even in the midst of that confusion and uncertainty, ought to mirror Mary's response. Here I am, your servant. Let it be as your word has said. That's tough, though, isn't it? That's tough. Okay, you want me to do what? You want me to go where? You want me to study what? You want me to marry who? <laughs> that could get really interesting if you start that one, right? Wait, wait, wait. You want me to marry this person? I'm confused, God. You know, <laughs> that could be interesting. But Mary's response is, here I am, your servant. Let's go. Kind of begs the question, why can we, if we're confused, if we're overwhelmed by the disruption, why can we trust God? Now, this is a really cool little tying these two stories together comparison that I want you to get because this is Advent season. This is Christmas. We are waiting on Jesus to show up or celebrating the, the initial original arrival of Jesus. Let me get my words straight here in a minute. We're celebrating Christmas, the birth of Jesus 2,000 some odd years ago. But we're also waiting for the return of Jesus. We're in a new Advent season. We're all waiting for the, the announcement. And if you think that was disruptive, imagine how disruptive His return will be. But how can we trust Him in the middle of confusion? Two stories, two birth announcements, two ladies. Elizabeth is barren, can't have kids. Despite all the trials, despite whatever they've done to try to have a kid, they can't. All of their own effort didn't work, and God intervened, and they had a son, John the Baptist. Mary is a virgin. No effort has ever been exerted in that direction. She is not trying to have a kid. None of that's happened, and she has a kid as well. There's an interesting comparison there, right? Our own effort our own trying to please God, our own trying to do what God wants us to do, our own trying to get through the day in life ends up not working. 
and it's not good enough to get us to God, right? But what does God do about that in spite of all of our effort, in spite of our next commitment to keep the commandments and do all of the Jesus stuff and read the Bible every day that, that fails again miserably? Or to be more, a more caring, more loving, more compassionate person and we fall on our face about that again, all of our effort leaves us spiritually barren. And then God intervenes and offers us a relationship anyway. Mary, the mother of the Messiah, did nothing. It was all God. Two birth announcements, two stories, but what do they both tell us? It isn't up to us. Our effort doesn't work. And then when God wants to do it in circumstances that don't make any sense to us, nothing is impossible with God, including a virgin having a baby. Mary didn't do anything. Elizabeth tried everything. Neither one of them, it was not up to either one of them to deliver these two babies. It was God. From the beginning, it was always His plan in the right time with these two ladies Think of everything that went into arriving at this moment in history. The entire genealogy of David, all the wars, all the history, all the stuff that's transpired so that Elizabeth can be where Elizabeth is and Mary can be where Mary is in that moment, in that time, for God to disrupt all of human history. And it had nothing to do with either one of them. It was all God. Wasn't Elizabeth's effort to bring us John? Certainly wasn't Mary's effort to bring us to Jesus. It was all God. The Christmas story, what we're waiting for is for God to do something in the midst of our confusion and hardship and trials in spite of our best efforts and usually through His own plan anyway, despite anything we do or hope to do. God simply shows up and disrupts Everything. You think Mary's life was different after that announcement? We'll talk about that next week, I'm sure. Because, you know, Joseph has something to weigh in on this one too, right? The whole world changed after that announcement. Not just Mary's world, our world changed forever. Talk about disruption. This tops the light bulb a little bit. This even tops the internet, believe it or not. This is a changing of human history forever because through what God accomplished in the first advent was He became one of us so that we could know the Creator of the universe and be in relationship with Him and be restored to Him because our stuff doesn't work. But nothing is impossible with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we celebrate the fact that you have already come. And our hearts look forward to when you will come again. Be with us in this new Advent season. As we wait with great expectation for you to arrive and disrupt everything again. To turn the world on its head again. And we trust and know that it is you that is in the midst of that plan. 
that's not up to us. It is always has been and always will be about you. What you've already accomplished tells us we can trust that you will accomplish it again. And so this morning, we place all of our heart and all of our trust in the one we know, which is you. In Jesus' name, amen.